Well, it's time we got back to Paul's letter to the Colossians. Uh, so turn with me to the reading which we had, Colossians chapter 2, um, and particularly verses 8 to 14. Here's a church of, of new believers, young believers, some of whom have been getting a taste for false teaching. The question arises, is Jesus enough, or do I need something more? And as we've seen so far in this series, Paul's answer has been emphatic. He sets before them, he sets before us, this glorious vision of the all-surpassing majesty and beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's beloved Son. When the sun rises, uh, we're dazzled by its brightness and we're temporarily blinded. When we look at Jesus, we're dazzled by the brightness. For far from being blinded, when we see Jesus, we can say, now I see, and by his light, I see everything else. So perhaps we could sum up Colossians so far by, in three words, and those three words are Christ, Christ, Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, which brings us then today to verses 8 to 14. Um, I wanted to get to verse 15, but uh, I don't think we will. Um, There's so much to say about verse 15. 8 to 14, what happens? The camera, as it were, swings round, and we begin to see the danger that these new converts, these young Christians, are in. See to it that no one, verse verse 8, takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Says Paul, the real danger they're in is that they take their eyes off Jesus. Are you in danger of that? Taking your eyes off Christ. Well, we have three things to say, three points. Uh, Point number one, we'll call hijacked. Let's look again at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. They're on the right road. They're on the king's highway. It's a straight road, but someone is flagging them down and pointing them in a new direction. Says the apostle, don't slow down. Don't leave the road. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Let's put it another way. Uh, Years ago, I took one of my children to uh, a university open day to find out about the course and to meet the department. Well, there we were. We were enjoying food and drink, and we were mingling with the staff when the head of department came up to talk to my 18-year-old child. Here was the most important man, and here he was face to face with my child. But my child has spotted a particularly large sausage roll on a plate. So he looked at the head of department. I'm giving it away, haven't I? He looked at the head of department. He looked at the sausage roll, head of department, sausage roll, head of department, sausage roll. And then in one scoop, he scooped up this big sausage roll and shoved the whole thing in his mouth. At which point I knew he wasn't listening to a word that the head of department was saying to him. He'd been taken captive 
by an inviting sausage roll. So here are the Colossians. They're face to face with Christ. But someone's distracting them. Not with sausage rolls, but with with this inviting, enticing philosophy and teaching. So, says the Apostle, don't take your eyes off Christ. Don't stop listening to what he's saying. Don't get distracted. See to it that no one takes you captive. So what is this philosophy and empty deceit in verse 8 which Paul is referring to? Well, Colossae, strongly Greek, but it's got a large Jewish presence. So pagan Greeks borrowed from the Jews and religious Jews were influenced by the Greeks. So what do you get? Well, you sort of get a, a hybrid philosophy. It's not according to Christ. Verse 8, it's according to human tradition. It's not a message that's come from heaven. Verse 8, it's according to the elemental spirits of the world. That's how our ESV translated elemental spirits uh, of this world. It could also be translated um, elemental principles, the stoichia. It means the stuff of which this world is made, and we'll look at that more when we get down further down in the chapter. The point is this. These teachings, these enticing teachings, these philosophies, these ideas which are coming their way are entirely man-made. They're human. They grow out of this world. They're not revealed from above, in which case, therefore, they are empty, hollow, deceitful. Verse 8, they're not according to Christ. They haven't learnt these things from him. He's never taught them. He's never spoken about these things to them. So don't get hijacked by this false teaching. As though you need something more than Christ. As though what Christ has said to you is not enough. As though you need something more than him. Now, I don't think we're to think about a sort of organized conspiracy of false teaching. I don't think we're to think of false teachers having entered the church and leading people astray. That's the situation you have in the Galatian churches. I don't think that's the situation you have here. Now, of course, there are con men. Um, That's why it says empty deceit. There are people there to deceive. There are con men. There are false teachers. But it's more the sense that these ideas, these philosophies are just in the air of Colossae, and it's the air which these new Christians are breathing, philosophical ideas that sound very plausible, attractive teachings that sound, well, super spiritual, but it's not according to Christ, and they're in danger of being taken captive, being hijacked. Is that so strange to us? What ideas do we breathe in from the air around us? It's the zeitgeist, isn't it? It's the, it's the spirit of the age, uh, the sort of shared outlook, uh, the herding instinct. Everyone is moving in the same direction, but actually they don't know why. They don't even know where they're going. What are my views? Where do those views come from? What underpins them? Am I just breathing in the air? Have I been taken captive by 
philosophy and empty deceit. Ideas, teachings which haven't been revealed by Christ. Ideas and teachings that, as it were, have grown, grown in the soil of this world, this fallen, cursed world. What are my views on climate change? Diversity. Equality. Money. Spirituality. Sexuality. Race. Happiness. Conspiracies. What are my views? Where did they come from? Who gave them to me? How do I just breathe them in? Following the crowd. The spirit of this age has got into me. Is it according to Christ? Or is it the zeitgeist? The air that I breathe. Perhaps a more challenging question is how much of present-day evangelicalism is according to human tradition. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to the Christ. Amongst the churches, Bible churches, gospel-preaching churches, what are the buzzwords? What validates our decisions? In what direction are the churches moving? And maybe the direction in which they're moving is simply a reaction against the prevailing views in the world. The zeitgeist. But actually, they're still not according to Christ. What is my view on church life? On leadership? The role of women? Music? Worship? Sunday? What does a successful church look like? What about evangelism? What are our views on suffering and commitment? Have we been hijacked? If we went back 10 years and we took a snapshot of APC 10 years ago, would our views on things have changed? Or go back 30 years? Would our views have changed? And if they have changed, why have they changed? Is it simply the air that we've been breathing? Or is it because Christ has revealed those things to us and we're better informed and our understanding has grown and we know more about Christ and therefore we are more obedient people to Christ? <coughs> Don't get distracted by the sausage roll. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep listening to his voice. What we believe, how we live, isn't simply to be because we breathe in the air of 2024 London. It must be because we are learning, learning, learning from Christ. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So point number two, the madness of looking elsewhere. The obvious question is, why would you take your eyes off Jesus? Verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In sausage roll terms, he's the banquet. How can I be drawn away from the banquet? For in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Christ is fully human, but he's more. 
Christ is a man filled with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, beyond measure, but he's more. Christ is God himself, fully human, fully God, two natures, one glorious person, the Lord Jesus Christ. The baby who caught his first breath on that Bethlehem night breathed worlds into existence. The boy who learnt his trade in the carpenter's shop is the one who possessed all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The man who died on that cross is the very author and giver of all life. Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. So if he made the world, if everything ultimately has its source in him, why would I look outside of Christ for answers? If he has put the whole universe and more at the disposal of his church, why would I ever feel that I'm missing out? That I need something extra to complete, to make up what is lacking in Christ? For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. If all the fullness of God is in Christ, and Christ is in us, Christ is in me, what is it, brothers and sisters, that we're lacking? So it's madness to look elsewhere, as it were, to supply what I can't find in Christ. Now, this false teaching, uh, Greeks borrowing from Jews, Jews influenced by Greeks, and as you read down, and we'll get there um, later in the series, further down in chapter 2, um, there are, there's the mysterious in this teaching, you know, the sort of spooky world beyond. There's the do's and don'ts, sort of religious observance, strict rules, uh, don't touch this, don't eat that. There is in this teaching sort of a super spirituality, talks of visions. And there is in this teaching a sort of reverence for angels. You need to keep the spirits on board. And put a foot wrong in any of this, and it's a backward step. You've blown it. Well, that's all just rubbish. Because Christ is everything. Christ is more than enough. You don't need to go looking elsewhere, says Paul to the Colossians. Don't be taken in by teachings that promise you more. What you need is more of Christ. Further in, higher up. And even those other spheres of authority which people appeal to, you know, so-and-so says this, there's this written, there's that. All those, all those spheres of authority which people appeal to to validate their teachings and their beliefs, says Paul, even those are under Christ. There's no one higher than Jesus. There's no higher name. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So if people start calling on other authorities to validate what they're saying, well, Christ is over them all. So you don't need anything more. The madness of looking anywhere else. Which brings us to point number three. Paul begins to flesh out what we have in Christ. 
or rather what Christ has done for us. And that's verses 11 to 15. As I said, we're only going to get to verse 14 today. Now, it's true to say these are difficult verses. And when you read commentators on this, they all say, oh, these are very difficult verses. <laughs> and then they seek then to sort of skirt around them sometimes and not actually really address them. How do we tackle these verses? They're difficult, aren't they? All about the circumcision of Christ and all this sort of thing. What's it all about? How should we tackle it? Well, let's think about universal questions. Universal questions, in other words, questions which everybody asks, but questions which only Christ answers. So let's think of the first question, which, which everyone is asking. Okay? Everyone knows that this world is broken. Everyone knows this world is ugly. It's sinful. It's unclean. You know, I wish my children were growing up in a different sort of world. How can I escape this world? This broken world. That's a universal question. Every religion, every philosophy, every cult will have its answer to that question. How you can somehow get out of, a, out of the, the, the morass which is this world. So what is the answer? Verse 11. In him, in Christ, also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That's, that's the answer. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, have you seen the Pixar film Monsters, Inc.? Okay, Monsters, Inc., there are two, two worlds, aren't there? There's the world where the monsters live. There's the world where the people live. And between the worlds, there's a door or doors. So the, people, so the monsters can go from their world into the, into the world, I would say the human world, because it's just a, it's a cartoon, isn't it? But into the, into the world where the people live. When Monsters, Inc. came out and they played the trailer for it, the trailer had music in it, which was a song called Break On Through to the Other Side. Because the monsters could break on through from their world to the other world, they could break on through to the other side. Okay, think about that. Two worlds, a door, breaking on through to the other side. So how do I escape this fallen, cursed World. How do I find a, a better world? Is there a door between the worlds? How do I break on through to the other side? Now, the Jewish answer to that question, and remember this teaching that's floating around in the air of Colossae has been very much influenced by, by Jewish thinking, Old Testament Jewish thinking. The Jewish answer to that question, well, what was this? Where did it all go wrong? Why is the world a mess? What happened? Where did it go wrong? The answer is it went wrong with Adam. We're members of his fallen race. So if you sever the connection with Adam, if you cut the line of transmission, you'll be free from all that ugliness and sin and uncleanness to become a new people, a holy people, a people bound for a better world. So when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, he was looking forward, wasn't he, to a, to a city whose, whose designer 
and builder is God. He was looking forward to a better world. When he made that journey, as it were, leaving this world for a better world, what happened? He was circumcised. Cut off from Adam's line, if I put it like that, bound for a better world. So how do you break on through? What's the answer? Circumcision. That's why Paul brings it into this discussion. But hang on a minute. Can circumcision made by hands, can a little nick in the flesh really sever you from Adam? Can it really make the unclean holy? Can it really help you to escape this fallen world? Well, of course not. Because circumcision was simply the picture of a far more radical circumcision. What Paul calls here the circumcision of Christ. It's a circumcision made without hands. It's a circumcision performed by Christ. It's not the cutting off of a little piece of flesh. It's actually putting off, verse 11, the whole body of the flesh. In him you were also so him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I hope you're still with it. So what does that mean? Well, to help us, we'll, get, we'll divide the chapel into two. It's very useful. There's a big line between the two sides. So on this side, okay, I'm sorry, this is the old, corrupt, unclean world. Okay, you lot... The, this is the world that's been bequeathed to us by Adam, Adam's fall, Adam's sin, and we all fell in Adam. It's the world we're trying to escape. On this side, well, it's God's new world. It's glorious, holy, clean, perfect. It's the one we want to go to. So how do I get from here, the old world, to the new world? From the unclean to the holy or perhaps you could put it say, how do we get from death to life, this world to God's world? How do I break on through? Into this world I'm born. So what does Christ do? He puts me to death. What Paul calls the circumcision of Christ. Okay, not a little bit of not a little nick in the flesh, but the full blown putting you to death. A real cutting off. The circumcision of Christ. So the uncircumcised are circumcised. The putting off of the body of flesh. Well, when did that happen? When was I put to death? When did I die? Well, here we come to this great truth of union with Christ. He's the head. We're the body. We're united to Christ. So when he died... On that cross, I died. When he put off the body of the flesh, when he died, so did I, because we're one with Christ. Says Peter, Christ was put to death in the flesh. Paul says he put off the body of flesh. He's saying the same thing. On that cross, he died. And because I'm joined to him, I too died. All of which means I'm now dead. In this world, I'm dead. 
So how do I get to that world? How do I get... How do I break on through? If I'm dead in this world, how do I get to that world? Well, now Paul changes the picture. Just to confuse us, he changed the picture from circumcision to baptism. Look at verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So, by the circumcision of Christ, I was put to death, dead to this world. But I didn't stay dead. Just as Christ on the third day was raised from the dead, and I am in Christ, I'm joined to Him, He's the head, I'm the body, so too I've been raised in Christ to a new life. So I escaped the old world, because I've been put to death there, but I've been raised up for God's new world. And every baptism proclaims that. Now, baptism doesn't make us alive. It's just a picture of being made alive. It pictures that resurrection. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. When I was baptized, when I confessed my faith in Jesus Christ, what was I saying? I was saying there's a Gerard Hemmings who is unclean, who is filthy, who is a sinner. He's locked into this cursed world. He can't get out of it. He's under judgment. He can't break on through. So what's happened? That Gerard Hemmings has been put to death. The circumcision of Christ. He's been cut off. I didn't do it. He did it to me. But I didn't stay dead. That old Gerard Hemmings, Paul changing his picture now to baptism, that old Gerard Hemmings, he goes under the water, doesn't he? It's a funeral. It's a picture of death. It's a picture of burial. But of course, I didn't stay under the water. I came up out of the water. Why? Because symbolically it was saying, I've been raised to a new life by what, calls, by what Paul calls the powerful working of God. So dead raised to a new life, dead in this world, put to death by Christ, but then raised to a new life for this world, breaking on through. Now, I've been converted. I look the same because I've yet to be clothed with a new body and I've yet to be arrive finally at the new world, although the new world is already breaking into me and changing me. I've yet to be clothed with this with this um, new body for the new world. But it's a new me looking out through these eyes. They may be the old eyes, but it's a new me. It's a new me with a new heart, new desires, new purposes. I'm a new creation. There's a new trajectory about me. I have a new destination. I'm going to God's new world. So life in this world, verse 13, what's it like? I'm dead in my sins. I'm unresponsive to God. The uncircumcision of my flesh. I'm an unregenerate rebel heading for hell. But that man, that person I used to be, is now dead and buried. When Christ was judged, I was judged. When Christ was put to death, I was put to death. 
When the punishment fell on him, the punishment fell on me. So when he died, I died. The wonder of wonders, when he rose from the dead, because I'm united to Christ, I too was made alive with him. So I now belong to the new world. I've yet to arrive there, but that new world is already in me. The Spirit of God's in me. The new life is in me. The resurrection's in me. I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. It's a new me. And therefore, through Christ, I broke on through. Which is why every believer before Christ comes who dies goes to the new world. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. So, I hope you're still with it. How do I escape the old life? The old, broken, ugly, dying world, what Adam has bequeathed to me for this new world, this new life? I escape it through Christ. He now lives in me. His resurrection life is in me. It's the life you can never kill. So it's Christ who rescues us from the old world. He does it by putting us to death. I'm finished with that old world. But he raises me to a new life. I'm bound for God's new world. At last he will bring me there. And therefore, there's nothing in this dying world, this cursed world, this broken world, this ugly world, Adam's world, this world under the curse. There's nothing here, no philosophy, no human tradition, no teaching, no stuff of which this world was made. Don't touch this, don't do that, all those kind of things. There's nothing that can ever, ever, ever make me break on through. It's all just part of this deathly world. None of it can rescue me. The dead can't make the dead live. The living Christ makes the dead live. So says Paul, why bother with those things, those teachings? Only through Christ can you break on through to the other side. I hope that makes sense. The, the next point is much more straightforward and much, much more brief. If anything in that you think, oh, no idea what he's talking about there. Um, come and talk to me afterwards. But if you think about it, how can I ever I escape this old world? Well, kill me and then raise me up a new person for the new world. That's really all it's saying. And that's what Christ has done. Okay, final point then. Final, as we only get so far this morning. This second universal question, which again, every philosophy, idea, religion, cult will try to address because it's in us all. That question is this, how can I be forgiven? That old Jared Hemmings did a lot of bad stuff. And although he's now a new person, he's still in this flesh, in this world, still doing lots of bad stuff. How can I be forgiven? How can I be made clean? How can I be freed from guilt? Do I have to go and bathe in a certain sacred river? Do I have to avoid certain foods or touching certain things? Should I go and see a counsellor and just pour out my guilt to the counsellor? Do I have to go and do penance? Or maybe go on a pilgrimage? How, how, how can I be forgiven? 
And the answer, again, is Christ. Verse 13, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Hopefully this point is much more straightforward. Um, <coughs> excuse me, IOUs, okay? IOU, £100. You have my IOU, okay? I've scribbled it on a piece of paper, IO whatever, £100. When I pay you back, what do you do with the IOU? You tear it up. Because the debt's been paid. The debt's been cancelled. Okay? Straightforward, isn't it? But what do you do when the one that you owe the money to, or you, the one you're in debt to, is God? And actually, you owe him trillions and trillions, and every day you're getting deeper and deeper into debt. How do you pay God back? I can't put it right, can I? I, 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 I can't pay God back. It's just a, a lifetime of sin. I'm getting deeper and deeper and deeper into debt with him. In fact, my, my debt is infinite. All that unfinished business, which will be settled at the judgment, and then I will be cast into the debtor's prison, and I'll never be able to repay all that I've done, and I'll be in the debtor's prison forever and ever and ever. That record of sin, of debt, with, says Paul, his legal demands, the soul that sin shall die. The law demands the sinner is put to death. It stands against me. I can never repay. I can never put any of this right. So how can I be forgiven? Verse 13, having forgiven all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. On that cross, Christ paid my debt in full. And the legal demands, my punishment, me being put to death, on the cross that was paid in full. So justice was done. The debt was cancelled. The debt was paid. The IOU was torn up. Because what's been punished once in Christ, what's finished in Him can't then be punished a second time in me. If he's paid the debt, I don't have to pay anything. Having forgiven all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Christ paid my debt in full in his blood. In fact, it goes even further. Having torn up the IOU, what it's saying is there'll be no more IOUs. That's what it's saying in verse 14. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It's saying no more IOUs. It's not that God has wiped the slate clean and then I can fill the slate up again with more and more debts. He's saying he's destroyed the slate. It's not keeping any more record of debt because the debt's been paid completely. There's no more record of wrongs. Because what Christ did on the cross was die for my sins, not up to this present moment, but died for all my sins. 
All the debts I've yet to accumulate. All of them were laid upon him. He paid in full. The debt has been cancelled. There's nothing more to pay, which is why... Brothers and sisters, we read Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No unfinished business, no record of debt, no IOUs, there's no warrant out for my arrest, there's no debtor's prison awaiting for me, there's no hell. I really am forgiven. All those burdens I carry around with me, all those memories of things I've done years ago, days ago, even, maybe even today, I carry around with them. I carry, me, I carry them around with me, and I'm so ashamed. The debt's been cleared. It's not that, that there's a sort of, there's an IOU from last week and today and tomorrow, and it's still got to be paid. I've got to owe God things. I've got to somehow pay it all back. On the cross, it was completely, fully, absolutely dealt with. The debt was cleared. That's why there's that lovely hymn, isn't it? Burdens are lifted at Calvary. The weight of sin that crushes us, the, the load that we walk around with, all of those things that we feel we can't get away from. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. It's a healing forgiveness. I have peace with God. It's a forgiveness that is full and free. He's not going to present me with another IOU because the IOU was nailed to the cross. It was finished there. Finished there. Finished there. All my sins, all my debts, finished there at the cross. The debt was settled once and for all. God's not coming looking for more payment. It was paid in full in His blood. Jesus has done it all. So why, says Paul, would you take your eyes off Jesus? Why would you go looking somewhere else as though somebody else can add to you what Jesus can't? Why would you listen to the voice of another? The debt has been paid. I'm forgiven. I really am forgiven. I can skip home this morning. Okay, we must always go and tell the Lord, confess our sins, because we don't want anything to come between us and Him in our relationship. But I do so knowing that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It goes on cleansing. I really am forgiven. I really am free. Maybe my brother, my sister, maybe you've been carrying a burden around with you, something you did, something you said, something you should have done, you didn't do, and it's just been following you around. You can't get it off your shoulders. can't believe what you did when you look back on it. Well, burdens are lifted. God is not holding that in front of you and saying, I've got an IOU and you haven't paid me yet. It was nailed to the cross. It was settled and done and finished there. You can put the burden down. Rolls off your shoulders. He's carried it for you and made an end of it. The wonders of the gospel, isn't it? Isn't the gospel wonderful? How do I escape from this world? 
I can't, can I? I'm in this world. I'm part of this world. This world's in me. Well, says Jesus, I'm going to put you to death. The circumcision of Christ. I'll put you to death. That old person that you are, that, that, that link that comes from Adam, sinning in Adam and Adam's nature and all the rebellion and filthiness that's you, I'll put that person to death. But I'll raise you to a new life and you'll be a new person. And I'll be changing you. And one day I'll clothe you with that new body for my new world. Yeah, but all the things I did and, and the mess I made and the shame and the sin and the things I still carry with me, well, they've all been settled at the cross. The debt's been paid. The burden's been lifted. You're free and you're forgiven. It's the wonder of the gospel, isn't it? So why would I go looking anywhere else? It's that lovely hymn, is it? Nothing to pay. Yes, nothing to pay. Jesus has cleared all the debt away, blotted it out with his bleeding hand, free and forgiven and loved you stand. Hear the voice of Jesus say, Verily, thou hast nothing to pay. Paid is the debt, and the debt are free. Now I ask thee, lovest thou me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you sometimes, Lord, that the, the parts of Scripture which are hard and we, we find they're like tripwires, we trip over them, Lord. It's because you want us to linger at them and to really get under the skin of them and perhaps more, Father, for them to get under our skin and become a part of us. We thank you that Jesus really has done it all and that we are new people and we're forgiven people. And Christ has done it all, that wonderful, glorious demonstration of his love. And Lord, that hymn which we just read the words of, and the question which is asked of us, do we love him? Oh, our God, melt our hearts, lift the burdens, be the lifter up of our heads. May we this day see Jesus. May his eyes and our eyes meet. And as we see his love for us, that we might love him in return, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>